I want you off the fucking set, you prick! Now don't just be sorry, think for one fucking second. What the, the fuck are you doing? Are you professional or not? Yes, I am. Do I fucking walk around and rip that? No, shut the fuck up, Bruce. Do I want? No! No! Don't shut me up. Am I gonna walk around and rip your fucking lights down in the middle of a scene? Then why the fuck are you walking right through? Ah, oh, da 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 da, like this in the background. What the fuck is it with you? What don't you fucking understand? You got any fucking idea about, hey, it's fucking distracting having somebody walking up behind Bryce in the middle of the fucking scene. Give me a fucking answer. What don't you get about it? I was looking at the light. Oh, good for you. And how was it? I hope it was fucking good because it's useless now, isn't it? Fuck's sake, man, you're amateur. It's the Best Forgotten Movies! Hello and welcome back to Best Forgotten Movies, the podcast about the films that time travelled through time to assassinate. I'm your host Gareth Green and joining me as always is my full-time co-host and part-time gruff-talking saviour of humanity, Andrew Phillips. Where's the commissioner? (laughs) And for this week's episode, we're travelling to the distant future to do battle with the machines in Mick G's now ironically titled Terminator Salvation. But is this sequel an overlooked classic, or does it leave little to salvage from the wreckage of the Terminator franchise? Find out after the trailer. We've been fighting a long time. We are outnumbered by machines. Humans have a strength that cannot be measured. This is John Connor. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. I thought I knew her. Something has changed. Skynet is taking human prisoners. Replicating human tissue. Let's see what we've got here. And in this future, I don't know that we can win this war. This thing is something we've never seen before. My name is Marcus Wright. You think you're human? I am human. What are you? I don't know.
I'm the only hope you have. From the acclaimed writers of Catwoman and Terminator 3, the rise of the Hollywood sequels nobody asked for, comes this dull as dishwater Terminator fart noise. Is that your dishwasher? No, I was trying to do an impression of the uh, the HKs and whatever oh, weird, yeah. weird uh, <laughs> toy placement items they've put in this film. Yeah. It's the Hyderabad. Megabot. <laughs> TM. Champion Darth Vader impersonator Christian Bale is very angry for signing on to this piece of shit film as John Connor, the saviour of humanity in the war against the machines in Mick G's questionable sequel. Set in the distant future of 2018. <laughs> so far away. <laughs> Salvation follows Sam, I hope to God I'm in the next 14 Avatar films, Worthington, as Marcus Wright, a man executed in the past, but mysteriously brought to life in the future. His journey leads him to Kyle Reese and John Connor, the very people who will decide the fate of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> Except Michael Ironside got there first. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's so wasted in this yeah, film. Yeah, he is. So wasted. I bet you he did two days on this film. Yeah, it seems like it in the one in set. In one set, yeah. yeah. So why have we nominated Terminator Salvation for consideration on today's episode? For the anniversary of Terminator 2, Judgment Day, we thought it would be a good time to take a second look at one of the failed Terminator sequels, and we actually turned to our fans on our Twitter page and ran a poll asking them which film they would like us to cover on our podcast, and they chose, after a very close battle, Terminator Salvation with... Terminator 3 in second place, and Terminator Genesis in last, which was actually a surprise to me. I mean, yeah. is that a surprise <laughs> really to you? I really wanted to do Terminator Genesis. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was I was really expecting it to storm it. Like, that would be yeah. the one that people would really want us to do. And it wasn't. It was the least. So, Andy, do you have any experience with Terminator Salvation? And can you tell us a little bit about your background with Terminator in general? I mean, yeah. what experience do you have with the Terminator franchise? Is it one that you hold dear to your heart or are you new to it? No, I, I've always watched the Terminator films. In fact, Genesis is the only one I haven't bothered to see because you told me not to. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, it's so god-awful. I mean, even compared to this film. Mm -hmm. The first one I saw was Terminator 2, which I think is probably true for everyone yeah. who grew up when we did. And it's probably one of the very first 15 films I ever saw. I had it on video. Yeah. I've just grown up with them. I revisited them pretty much every year from then on. My love probably has dwindled over time. And I think it's probably because of the sequels. Mm -hmm. They've kind of watered down the brand a lot yeah. and my enjoyment. But at the end of the day, you can just detach yourself and just watch those first two films. Yeah, They're the James Cameron series. And then everything else is just additional annexes. Yeah, but with this particular film, I do have a. I, I did see it twice, unfortunately, <laughs> against my choice because I watched it first time around just as a general viewing, and then the second time I went on a date and they chose this film. Unfortunately, it was our last date. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but um, yeah, it was this film that did it as well. <laughs> Actually, this is only the second worst date film I've ever been on. The first one was The Counselor. Oh, which um, wow. Yeah, which is a, a terrible date movie. <laughs> I would say, for me, I've been on two very terrible date movies, and one of them was just simply because it was a mediocre, boring movie. And that one was <laughs> The Sum of All Fears with Ben Affleck. <laughs> that was just dull, really. That's really going to get your blood pumping, <laughs> exactly, isn't it? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. 
And the other one was The Proposition, the Nick Cave <laughs> movie with Guy Pearce and Ray Winston, yeah. which is one of my favourite films, but was just so incredibly nihilistic yeah. and brutal and horrible. I mean, I think there's like this 10-minute whipping section where there's some <laughs> like teenagers being brutally whipped to death for a good solid few minutes. And I can just remember sitting in my seat, just shrinking, feeling just emotionally exhausted. We never <laughs> went on a second date after yeah. that. I mean, even when I went to see The Counselor, we had a choice between The Counselor and Don John. I don't know which one would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. <laughs> I think Don John would have set up a um, a few conversations afterwards, yeah. a few very awkward moments. Uh, <laughs> that was also a last date as well. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Anyway, to get back to Terminator, um, I have loved the Terminator series since watching it the first time. It's one of those series that I can't remember when I was first introduced to the Terminator franchise. It just feels like it's always been there. But I do remember that when I did watch Terminator 2 Judgment Day for the first time. I must have been about five years old. <laughs> and my parents ribbed me constantly for the next 10. More than that, they still ribbed me today for the fact that I could never watch it through to the end without crying. Just absolutely bawling my <laughs> eyes out. And if anybody I played just a snippet of the music from the film, once it got to the da-da-da, I'd start crying. Like, yeah, I, I feel... <laughs> composure compose yourself uh but yeah i'm sorry john i'm sorry <laughs> i need a vacation <laughs> i was john connor i order you not to go but <laughs> so yeah i was mercilessly ribbed yeah. through many years over that film and yeah. uh, i've always loved him and i do get where you're coming from i do think the series has been or the franchise has been diminished due to the sequels, the unnecessary sequels that have been released, but my love for those first two films has not. Mm. I still think The Terminator is my, one of my favourite films. It's, it's a classic. It's perfect, I would say, as well. Terminator 2 is a lot of fun. I do think it's a slight retread, and uh, I do think it has a couple of moments where it goes on just a bit too long, especially the director's cut, mm. but I still put it up as one of my favourite action films, and it's pretty much straight downhill from there <laughs> yeah. for me. And uh, Terminator Genesis, I was actually um, hoping for when Megan Ellison was involved. And then once she took a step back and it became <laughs> yeah. Dave and David Ellison production, I yeah. realized, oh, no, we're not going to get the film we were we were told we were going to get. And then we get that James Cameron cash in hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As well. He's literally just out of frame, just wafting himself with yeah, his cash. With his million dollars. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. It's the real sequel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't so know why I'm, he speaks like, like that. I'm going to get these rights back in four years anyway, <laughs> so I don't care. Yeah. Um, I hope he just puts them in a vault, to be honest, because yeah. it's time that the Terminator... Well, it's time that it died. It's, it's time, time that, that it was terminated. terminated. <laughs> yeah. Even Jai Courtney, who's the angel of death yeah. when it comes to franchise films, um, he kind of thought that um, Terminator now should be uh, laid to rest. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, so, he said it. And that's Jai Courtney. Mm-hmm. He was uh, the king of this yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, the king of blandness. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, no, I think Charlie Hunnam uh, <laughs> is actually the king of blandness. As I wrote on Twitter, I think Charlie Hunnam wishes he had the charisma of Jai Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe Jai Courtney wishes he had the charisma of Sam Worthington. It's like many steps to this. <laughs> I think Jai Courtney and Sam Worthington are kind of hand in hand 
in terms of their <laughs> blandness. And it's weird that this franchise cannot escape that type of actor at the moment. Yeah. Because even Nick Stahl in Terminator 3, an actor that I think has turned into great work previously, mm. even he is just bland in Terminator 3. And it's not not been able to escape that um, I for think... three solid films now. Yeah, I think it's because the three sequels don't know how to write John Connor. Yeah. The only person who knows how to write John Connor is James Cameron. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because Terminator 3 writes him as a fucking janitor yeah. or something. He, he just looks like a drug-addled <laughs> <laughs> janitor somewhere yeah. when he's supposed to be growing into this action hero. And then with Salvation, they have just wrote Batman, mm. pretty much. I think I enjoyed this one a little bit more than 3. Only tiny bit because I thought it was duller than three, mm-hmm. but it was more consistent. Yeah, it had a better foundation than yeah. three because three is just literally a parody movie. Yeah, it's the airplane of the Terminator films. I actually think that Terminator Three is the kind of what's the word Nadia? Yeah, of the Terminator series. There can be no lower point than that. So I do agree with you on that mm. point. I do think this is a step up, but it's still not what this series deserves, what the the name Terminator deserves. Yeah, I think the only redeeming feature of 3 is the end. Yes, which is a very strong, really quite brave ending Yeah, that uh, does a lot to... See, I like a film that takes a complete left turn. The thing is with Terminator 3 is it takes so long to get there and the film leading up to that point yeah. is mainly yeah. just a spoof. Which is at odds with the ending anyway. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's really strange, that film. And again, it, yeah, it does feel like a TV movie, even yeah. down to the... Much worse than this film, actually, but even down to the credits going over the over the film as it, as it plays. Yeah, and I think it does. It's, it's got, like, the colour of a TV movie, the framing of a TV. It just feels... Staging, yeah. Yeah. I don't think Jonathan Mostow's... I think he's one of my least favourite directors, <laughs> yeah. actually, out there. He's made one really solid film which is breakdown and nothing else worthy of not mm. beyond that so i think we've summed up our experience with the terminator series we are both fans that i hope that comes across and anyone who listens to our podcast knows that we like to delve into the backgrounds of our films before actually discussing what we thought of them so to find out just how terminator salvation came to be i think we need to go all the way back to James Cameron's The Terminator Mm -hmm. to actually start discussing how the rights were eventually gave up because it's it's back in the early 80s when the seeds were sown. Yes. So James Cameron actually came from a background working with Roger Corman in his little workshop. He worked on films like Battle Beyond the Stars. Mm -hmm. Um, He'd actually, if anybody's seen that film, he designed... The ship that looks like a massive pair of tits, <laughs> as per Roger Corman's request, <laughs> which it's truly magnificent. It's on the poster and it's just brilliant. But yeah, that was his background. I, I read his book. That's the film with the Wrath of Khan score. It is, yeah. That ended up being recycled for Wrath of Khan. It is. It's the James Horner score, yeah. yeah. Well, his first film, Piranha 2, The Spawning, I think it's called, yeah. was a complete flop. And it wasn't really his film. No. Much of it was reshot and re-edited without his actually uh, involvement whatsoever. He, he was quite ill as well during the making. He was, well. and it was actually during an illness. During that illness, they actually came up with the idea for the Terminator. He said it came to him in a fever dream of this endoskeleton crawling through fire with a knife in its mouth or a knife in its hand. And he quickly got up and started drawing it in this mm. kind of feverish state. And that's what he attributes to the inspiration for Terminator. Harlan Ellison would say otherwise. (laughs) He would say it was actually based on one of his short stories, and I think his 
the Outer Limits episode mm. called The Soldier or something like that. And that mm. ended up with a dispute that went on for years and actually ended up in Harlan Ellison getting a credit on The Terminator for all future releases. So Harlan <laughs> Ellison is now credited as being one of the like inspirations or creators based on the work of. Mm. But in order to get The Terminator made, once he had the script, once he had this idea... He decided to enlist the help of his... I don't know if it was his then-girlfriend or they became an item, but uh, Gail Ann Hurd, yeah. who was also an employee at Roger Corman. I think she was like a production assistant. Yeah. He needed her help to make the film, and so in order to kind of entice her over, he actually sold the rights to his film to Gail Ann Hurd just so she would have it, and uh, it would, like I say, it would entice her over, and also it would give him that protection yeah from um because he know he, he knew that he would have to s- probably sell the rights at some point and now that he didn't own it, it it would give him protection and he would be able to make the film that he wanted mm-hmm. that was also where the seeds were sown for the destruction of the series as well <laughs> because it's that rights issue that has led to three unnecessary sequels from three different entirely different production companies yeah they've tried to be the first film in a new series three times yeah Okay, so after James Cameron and Gail Ann Hurd made The Terminator, they obviously went on many years later to make Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Many years, a whole lot. I thought you were like going to say seven years later. I thought later. you were going to say, obviously, they went on many, many years later to get divorced. <laughs> well, they did that as well. James Cameron's dirty dick showing its head again. <laughs> Which head? <laughs> its diseased head. <laughs> Syphilis. Moving on. <laughs> That should just be a little um, soundbite on its own. Syphilis. <laughs> Syphilis. Uh, so after Terminator 2, James Cameron often teased Terminator 3. And I think he actually started talks with Fox to finance and distribute the film. Although Fox actually um, turned down the idea when Titanic went over budget. And they were what expecting fools. Titanic <laughs> to be a massive flop. So yeah. they kind of quashed any notion of making a terminator 3 <laughs> with james cameron i think he had fallen out of in, out favor with them oh, i bet they were kicking themselves and I, ended up being a honestly hit i bet they were because it wasn't until 2009 that avatar came out jesus it was yeah. over 10 years later <laughs> well he did kind of make his own terminator 3 anyway with um t2 battle across time yeah which is a legitimate entry in the franchise as well. It's not like a, just a, a theme park ride. It's actually part of the actual continuity of the series. I've never actually seen it. Really. Not, no, I've never seen it. It's, it's much better than any of the sequels. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's great. It's got great satire as well. It's almost like Terminator and Robocop made a film together oh nice it's yeah. great there's some really nice satire in there you've even got we're like where a child can be tucked in by her mother from halfway around the world and it's basically <laughs> got these robot arms going over these uh, over this little girl in bed and tucking her in like that it's really good it's really good <laughs> that sounds great and obviously it's got all the original cast from terminator 2 in it yeah like, there's no one re- been recast you've got robert patrick edward furlong looking rather ill obviously yeah in, the, in this uh, one and uh, obviously arnie and linda hamilton and the great thing about it is that it, it's never really been topped as a show in that way because you've got uh, the way that the um, the way that it works is that the screens move up and down without you noticing to create hidden entrances so you'll get arnold schwarzenegger driving his motorbike in 3d towards the screen and then suddenly 
a real life actor playing Arnold Schwarzenegger will pop out through the screen onto the stage and will actually his bike will go through and it's it makes the whole thing feel really seamless and like it was great back in the day and it's not really aged that much either it still works really well I would love to see it I do remember I do have one factoid of information about it is that it was dollar for dollar the most expensive film ever made yeah um, two I don't million know if, dollars per minute yeah I, I think that still stands today I'm yeah pretty... it's one of the if it's not if it's not the top one it's one of the still it's yeah. still in the top like two or three yeah I just remember the little clip of Arnold Schwarzenegger in the making of with his huge cigar going and <laughs> we're back with the Terminator <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> So after James Cameron had gone through the motions of continuing to talk about Terminator 3 as a film that he would make, unfortunately, the company that owned half the rights to the franchise, which was Carol Co., um, went completely bust. And Was that uh, Cutthroat Island? It was. I'm pretty sure it was, yeah. Uh, Following, yeah absolute bomb of cutthroat <laughs> island which is probably something that we're going to do yeah, on this podcast do, yeah. very soon or at some point not very <laughs> soon but at some point in the future and yeah so they went bust and it was during a liquidation auction that the previous owners of caraco still like opted to buy the rights to the terminator franchise that was mm-hmm. still something that they wanted that mario mario casa, mario casa yeah. and andrew vajna yeah the fantastically <laughs> named <laughs> andrew vajna and they bought the My rights. name is Vajna. <laughs> so they bought the rights to the Terminator. That was something that they still wanted to pursue. Yeah. And um, shortly afterwards, they actually acquired the other 50% of the rights from Gail and Heard yeah. for an undisclosed fee, which I imagine would have been closer because they bought at the auction for $7.5 million. I imagine it would have been that, if not more, yeah. to buy them from yeah. Gail and Heard as well. So then they became the sole right owners and they founded the company C2 Pictures, uh, which I guess is Carolco 2. <laughs> and then they sought to make Terminator 3, The Rise of the Machines. And that went on and on for a few years before it was actually made in the early 2000s. Mm. I think, um, is it 2002 or something like that? 2003. Three, yeah. I think yeah. you're probably right, actually. But yeah, they did spend a good like six or seven years trying yeah. to get this film made. And I did read one of the very first scripts that they read before they, but that they wrote before they brought on John Brancato and uh, Michael, Michael Ferris. And it was fucking awful. I was like <laughs> Terminator shooting planes out of the sky and crashing into buildings, and uh, it's it's stupid. And that that it's not even as exciting as it sounds. The <laughs> So anyway, moving on from Terminator 3, because I think we want to reserve Terminator 3 as a film that we will discuss at some other point, maybe even uh, in this podcast later when we start comparing Terminator Salvation against the other films. After the underperformance of Terminator 3 at the box office and many further false starts due to an ongoing feud between the partners Vajna and Kassa, Mm -hmm. the rights were sold on again to an upstart company called the Halcyon Company, or the... Halcyon. Halcyon. I keep calling them the Halcyon. Halcyon. (laughs) The Halcyon Company. Yeah. Uh, the producers hope to kickstart a new trilogy using the foundations that Vajna and Faris. Um, I know every time I say I that like name. I like Vajna's foundations. <laughs> but He's so a- deep. <laughs> and wide. Yeah. You can't feel the sides. Um, <laughs> but using the foundations that they had laid with Terminator 3 and their script for its sequel because they actually planned to make two films back-to-back originally, where Jonathan Mostow helming both of them. And so they did 
making Terminator Salvation, they did use the Brancato Ferris draft or Ferris draft as their basis mm. moving forward. And it's, I mean, they are the sole credited writers on this film. I'd imagine for legal reasons. Yeah, I think it was for the w, WGA, the Writers Guild yeah, of America, deemed yeah. that they had contributed the most and that no other writer had contributed more than, I think it's, I think you have to contribute more than something like 40% yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to a film in terms of character and structure. If it's just all aesthetic, if you can change every single word in somebody else's script, but if it still follows the same structure, it still follows the same characters, it still hits the same beats, then it's only going to be credited to that previous writer. Yeah, yeah. So when the film came out, despite having many other writers who had uh, given their go at Terminate Salvation, they were still the sole writers yeah. credited to this film. Yeah, so Mick G was hired as a director, <laughs> and then they they brought on other writers to yeah. make the film. And I think to actually begin talking about the writing process that this film went through, we really need to actually just start discussing what we thought of the film, because it's going to be impossible. Yeah. Because many of the problems that arise from this film is because of that writing yeah. process. So, Andy, what did you think of Terminator Salvation? Let's call it McGee. Let's call it McGee's salvation. <laughs> I'm sorry, but McGee, fucking hell. Like, I just don't understand why he gave himself that name professionally. Like, as if anyone's going to take you seriously yeah. with a name like that. Because, I mean, it might be fine for when you're doing your music videos and whatever. Yeah. But when you're doing, like, big films, calling yourself McGee. Mm-hmm. It's just like okay, it's catchy, but it just makes it, you've almost automatically said you're a shit director. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, money's McGee. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of any really gimmick named directors that are actually any good. Yeah, because you've almost automatically labeled yourself as a bit of a plonker. Yeah, a bit of a douchebag. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the thing is, I think McGee's got a strong visual. Like he's got he's. He's got strong visuals on his side. He yeah, knows what yeah. he wants visually. And that's probably why he was a successful music video director. Mm. But um, he's yet to prove that he can tell a story. Yeah, he's yet another one of these music video directors where it's all uh, style over substance. Yeah, I think we actually got out of that trend yeah, now. Yeah. Because for a while, it was if you had any kind of franchise film, it was just bring on a music video director with a strong visual style and the rest will sort itself out. Everybody was still chasing that David Fincher. Yeah, I think um, McG actually put the nail on that coffin, actually. <laughs> I think you're probably right, yeah. I can't. I mean, I'm trying to think of what film McG's made since. I know he's made one. Oh, he made that This Means War with Chris Pine and... Tom Hardy. What a way to what a way to waste two talents. I not completely, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I'd almost completely forgotten that. Film. And Reese Witherspoon as well. Three oh, talents. Course, yeah, you three, can waste all three of them. Three real talents. Yeah. There. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, just to sum up my opinion of Terminator Salvation, I was very much looking forward to this film before it actually came out. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was on the IMDb message boards, which is a poisonous place. I don't think anybody should visit. Um, <laughs> I was on the IMDb message boards in the lead up to this film. I was very much looking forward to it, although I did have reservations. And one of the things that I do remember actually saying about this film was, you know what? The one thing that this film really can't be is mediocre. I say, you've got Terminator. You either do something brave and it fails, or you do something big that's good. If it ends up just being middle of the road, it's going to be forgotten quicker than <laughs> than anything. It's going to actually do more damage to the series. And I still stand by that. I think that this film is one that isn't terrible. It isn't great. 
it's just smack bang in the middle yeah. doing nothing. Yeah. It's got a strong visual style. It's got some good ideas. It's the only sequel in the series that actually tries to do something different. Mm. And I like that it doesn't pander to fan demand. We don't get our laser battles and stuff like that. Because you know what? I don't want to see them. Because James Cameron's already shown us everything to do with them. I know yeah. where all those characters are going. I've been shown that story. And I've lived it out in my mind over and over again since yeah. being a kid. I don't need to see that. I would rather actually see a future war film told from outside of the perspective of John Connor, Kyle Reese, and that whole kind of a triangle there. Mm. I want to go beyond that in the Terminator series. It's so bogged down by that, I think, now. Yeah. And it looked as if for a a little while they were going to steer it in that direction where they had Marcus Wright as your main character and the other characters were still in it, but relatively minor. Yeah. And... um, Christian Bale comes along and fucks that all up, really. Yeah, yeah, but that was it. It was the casting of Christian Bale that really did away with this um, idea of John Connor being a peripheral character. Yeah. I do kind of feel like he's the he's the the thing weighing this whole film down yeah. quite significantly because of his decisions and his choices and the way that he worked with McGee totally refocus. Well, actually, didn't refocus the film. They actually unfocus the film yes because it's clear as day that marcus wright is the main character but they've tried to beef up john connor's character without if they were going to do that they would have had to have started again and they didn't start again with the with the film the thing is with john but that's it that's what i think the problem is with this is the john brancato michael farris draft is not particularly great in and of itself but it has some interesting ideas and it has one singular very brave twist. Mm. And rather than actually rewrite, take that step back and rewrite it from a distance in terms of just take the ideas that work and then rewrite some f- another story completely different to suit Christian Bale and to suit this John Connor story, they've actually just decided to just... It's almost like they've tried to do it in a, in a micro way, they've, yeah. Like um, they've micromanaged the script. They've gone about it scene by scene, day by day, and actually changed not much of it. And then when what they have taken out makes other things not work. Yeah. And you can tell in this film that John Connor isn't really meant to be there because nothing that he does actually affects anything. No. His storyline is a nothing storyline. It doesn't go anywhere. No. No. Whenever you get John Connor on screen. It's just reiterating what we already know. Yeah. And uh, it's obvious that it's a minor part blown up. Yes, it is. Because, I, I mean, one of the things that this, this script was originally, like you say, it was about Marcus Wright. It was a bike. Uh, a bike? It was it a was, bike. <laughs> it was originally a bike, apparently. Yeah. With square wheels. It's been many things. <laughs> this series is a bit of a bike now. Yeah. It's the village bike. Everyone's had a ride. <laughs> But it was about Marcus Wright, it was about Kyle Reese, and it was about their journey, and John Connor was in it, but he was a peripheral character, and he was more of like um, a prophet that others followed. And that's still in this version of the film, you still hear him, like, uh, the only real interaction we got with him was what they heard of John Connor over the radio. Yeah. So he was more of a mythical figure. And it built up towards this ending where there was some guff with Skynet and what their motivations were because Jonathan Mostar wanted to explore that side of things. And the the big twist at the end of the film was that John Connor is killed and it's Marcus Wright who has to take his place and take the John Connor role. 
And um, it's like he dons his skin as yeah. exoskeleton dons his skin, and he lives out John, uh, as John Connor for the well the rest of his life, really. Yeah. And it fulfills that what was prophesied in Terminator Three when the Terminator says that John Connor's been killed, that he does die, and um, it also is a brave twist on the John Connor mythology, which by this point is so bogged down and so dull that yeah. actually I would have really welcomed something to come along and just kickstart it in a brand new, utterly different, utterly crazy, utterly bonkers left turn kind of way. I yeah. really appreciate it when franchises take left turns rather than pander to fan demand. I like it when fans are upset for the right reasons yeah. you know that, that, the thing is the best version of that for me personally is new and yeah alien Hicks. 3 i'm yeah. still i'm still happy that the fans that other fans are pissed about that because yeah. that's what series should be doing they yeah. should be taking risks that might leave half the fan base feeling like really hard done to yeah because we're on that site bucks guys i think it and i i do feel it's split down the middle i feel like it's it's european fans mm-hmm. that like alien 3 and it's american fans that fucking hate alien 3 yeah because uh, at the end of the day aliens is the most american of all the alien films like yeah uh, aliens your british one Alien 3 is kind of a British one as well. Aliens is American and Alien Resurrection is French. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I, I feel that's why people have such a strong affinity with Aliens because it's the most, it's the film that taps into what Americans like about big films. Yeah. The, and that's why they, they find it appealing. Whereas I love Aliens, it's great, but there's more in Alien for me. And, yeah. And obviously not to the same extent, but I do love Alien 3, especially the, the extended version well parts of the extended like the i made my own version yeah <laughs> which i've lost now i made my <laughs> own i made my own edit of alien 3 which was a, a combination of the theatrical and the extended and streamlined it all yeah took out all the gaff and i lost it it was, and it, it was near it was, perfection yeah. <laughs> it was actually i i, I love that version it was yeah. just one edit away from being yeah i had to take out one more scene but then my hard drive corrupted ah. and i lost it yeah it's uh really annoying but I, I think you're right and i think the thing is about aliens is that it's the only film of the alien series that specifically is commenting on an american conflict yeah so that's why that mm. is probably the most well-regarded film in yeah, for yeah. american audiences whereas i think if you look at alien and you look at alien 3 what they're talking about is more like personal horrors it's not focused on any on, on, on commenting on any specific location or anything yeah, like that and yeah. saying something about it it's more like um, body horror and stuff like yeah. that it can relate to everybody and as often is body horror is quite a european I'd say it always lands well in Europe, really. Yeah. Your body horror films, your David Cronenbergs. Yeah. You know, your David Lynch's as well. Yep. Terminator Salvation's a little bit like a, a left turn in the fact that it's format-wise completely different to any other Terminator film. Yeah. Before or since. On paper, it should work really yeah. well. Because just for the purely the fact that it is different, it's frustrating that it doesn't work as well as it should do because yeah. it's just so dull and lifeless. It is. It's just kind of boring. Yeah. I hadn't seen it since the cinema until I watched it last night and I'd forgotten how dull it is. And I don't think the things like the colour grading and things help that much like with it. No. But I think even just down to the, the performances and 
there's, there's no zing in anything. Well, this was another one of those films, and we spoke about this on our Popcorn Digest show, but it was another one of those films that took its inspiration from The Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, and from Batman <laughs> Rather Begins. Rather obviously as well, because yeah. you've got the same actor. It, well, clearly. Yeah. And it was, again, it, it tries to strike a balance between being The Dark Knight in its tone, but also Transformers in its kind of grand terminator designs in terms of its idea that it wants to they create all these new terminators for the sole purpose and it's clear the sole purpose of them is to sell toys Mm. and because every time any single one of them turns up you have a character shout out its name in a really over-the-top adr way (laughs) like oh the moto terminators (laughs) the hydrobots (laughs) trademark Get your Hydrobot toy. <laughs> exactly. From, new from Mattel. <laughs> it's fucking awful. And I think there's even that drone one that I forgot what it's called. But even Maca that drone. That, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, and it's the Harvesters. Um, Get your Michael Ironside <laughs> action figure. <laughs> Complete with removable arms. <laughs> Ah, uh, you know what? The thing is, as well, this film is truly missing some great, some great toys. Because did you have any of the Terminator toys from back when you were a kid? Back when Terminator Two came out? <sighs> I don't think so. Actually, I think I, I kind of missed out on that. Really. Ah, uh, see, I, I used to have a, a whole host of Arnold Schwarzenegger toys. Yeah. And uh, my favorite toy that I had was one where you have a little endoskeleton that you put in a mold that's like. Do you remember the advert for? The teaser trailer for Terminator 2, Judgment Day, where Arnie enters that, uh, the endoskeleton enters the kind of skin mold, and his skin is made. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. stuff like that, and you see the Terminator actually get made. Um, you have that, and you put the endoskeleton in it, you pour in some kind of like gelatin substance, and then when you take it out, it's a perfect mold of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and then you can battle with it, and his skin comes off slowly oh. and reveals the endoskeleton underneath. I was like, why don't we get toys like that yeah. anymore? Yeah. That was great. <laughs> Well, that was a, a weird point in time, like late eighties, early nineties, where yeah. you got children's toys being made from R-rated movies. Yeah, <laughs> like say all the RoboCop stuff and Terminator, and even Aliens as well had a yeah. lot of toys. I mean, I've got, an, I got an Alien, Alien toy where they really went all out in the Marines mm-hmm. thing, and, and they even had the Alien the Ride as well. Yeah, which I went on at Granada Studios. I went literally. On that. Two seconds from where we're sitting right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is, just across the road. Yeah. But uh, moving back to Terminator Salvation, I think we have to really hit the writing process head on. So we originally had this original draft by John Brancato and Michael Ferris. It wasn't really very good, but did a couple of things that were interesting in it. And from then, they actually uh, brought on Paul Haggis, who initially rewrote the Brancato and Ferris draft. Then they brought in Sean Ryan who had worked on the show The Shield. I think he had actually created the show mm. The Shield. And he was uh, he was then brought on three weeks before the film was due to start filming, but had to leave due to previous commitments to his show. So at that point, Jonathan Nolan was brought on to provide further revisions, working day-to-day as they filmed, really. Yeah. So he was there throughout the whole shooting process. And I think that's actually where the problems arise because I think this was a script that needed, as I said earlier, retooling from a distance. But whereas you're, when you're writing it day-to-day, all you're changing is the kind of aesthetics of what's happening. You're yeah. not changing the structural problems. You're not changing the character arc, the problems with character arcs. And because you have this ending that is being 
completely retooled because of a leak. There was originally leaked this brave ending about John Connor being killed and Marcus Wright taking his place. That leaked before on AintItCoolNews.com, I think it was, before mm. the film was released. So they had to um, retool that ending. And now we're left with this character, Marcus Wright, who actually doesn't contribute anything, really. Yeah, his end purpose is gone. I don't understand what... Yeah, exactly, what his purpose is. They keep talking about how he's got a strong heart and stuff like that, but... <laughs> yeah, that's obviously been rewritten exactly, as well, yeah. it's so, such a small part of the film. Whereas at that point, they really needed distance from the project to see what worked on in a structural sense and what didn't work. Yeah. What contributed the most and what didn't. It's a script that needed rewriting from scratch that was flawed in its initial draft that they just never fixed and it's immediately obvious that they weakened it further as well by overemphasizing the john connor character because even when i first watched it you wanted to follow the marcus wright character and whenever it started cutting back to john connor you're like oh we just want to go back to marcus wright because he's the most compelling character in this whole thing yeah because there's nothing you can say about john connor even the fact that it's very similar to anakin skywalker in going from episode one to episode two he may as well be a completely different character yeah well he's that's worse anyway there's no character to any of these things <laughs> but with that john connor character because they've changed the actor and changed the characterization throughout every film you don't feel like you know this character at all no but the film assumes that we already know this character so it basically makes no effort to give him any kind of character yeah. Or reintroduce him in any kind of way. So he just is just a very dull, boring character. And it's basically just Christian Bale doing his best Batman impression. It is, without yeah. The, without the mask. <laughs> yeah, both on and off screen, apparently. John Connor! World of commercial! As anybody who's heard the um, Christian Bale rant can attest to. I mean, yeah. I think we need to fit that in at some point. Just I think it's our it. intro, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it is, yeah. <laughs> it is. We're fucking amateurs. Yeah. Just the way that he's gone about, uh, like, dictating what he would like to do in this film as well. Yeah. It's kind of odd, because he's inadvertently weakened the effect of the film by wanting to have a bigger role. Because even the fact that he doesn't even know why he stated why he wanted to go for John Connor instead of the Marcus Wright character, which was offered to him. But then he went for John Connor, and then end up, they ended up beefing up his role. And then again, obviously, it makes it structurally mm-hmm. less sound. Well... I don't know. I think Christian Bale is in a position where he can actually make demands about the type of films that he wants to make because we do get these actors that come along and they do kind of tailor make their films for themselves Mm. um, and build them up. Brad Pitt is another one and sometimes they really work and sometimes they don't. And um, so I think he has earned the right at that point in his career following the success of The Dark Knight to actually say, okay, well, this is the type of film I want to make and this is what I want it to be about. But I suppose the thing is, is that if he came on and made those demands, I get the feeling that he was promised that the film would end up being something that it just wasn't entirely. And it's clear from the rant that it wasn't a happy environment for any of the people involved in it, that this this was a film that was diminishing as it went along. I get the feeling that once he came in and said, all right, John Connor needs to be more, they should have said, okay, well, we throw out this draft, we work again. Especially as he was the first one cast as well. Yeah. And probably got the film greenlit in the first place. It's the thing as well that I read that he was dubious about doing the film. Yeah. But then G managed to convince him that it would emphasize character over action. Yep. I read that as and well. And yeah. the irony is that it, it is the complete opposite yeah. of that. 
And I'd say it's the action that works best in this film, and yeah. like, none of the character stuff actually lands. Yeah. Although I say the action as well, like it's not particularly compelling either. I think me and Jess only got about five, ten minutes into the film, and she already thought it started to look a bit like a video game. Mm. I'm not I'm a massive fan of the action in this film, really. I, I think it's serviceable, but it, it veers very closely to that kind of uh, Michael Bayish way of filming action at, at times. I don't no, see, where I, there's just a lot of shooting. I don't. I don't agree. It because gets very video gamey. I, I I think it does. I get where you're coming from, but I don't quite agree. I do think that there has been some touches of Michael Bay on this film, considering the success of Transformers, and it's clear that that was something mm. that they were chasing in some of the designs of the creatures that they've made. In that, all the new designs are very busy. Yeah, but I don't know. I I don't think this is a film where the frame is being fucked in no, the same no. way that Michael Bay fucks a frame. I think that the shots are well composed in and of, them, of themselves. I can tell clearly what's going on from yeah, shot yeah. to shot to shot. And in that way, the action feels very steady and very well realized for me. I'd say that the problem is that is probably in that I don't give a shit what's going on yeah, in yeah. the action. Is that It's just is whizzing, that whizzing around you. Yeah, exactly. I'm so unengaged that it, yeah, I think it makes the action just feel more boring than it than mm-hmm. it should be. Because I think the inspiration that he said he had actually taken from, and that's clear in a few shots, is Children of Men. Yeah, and, and Mad Max too. Yeah, and, and clearly Mad Max too yeah. as well. Uh, but I, I think it does have that touch of Children of Men. But I think the one thing it even lacks when uh, comparing it to Children of Men is that um, there's nothing, like, for instance, there is a shot on a helicopter where mm. John Connor's in a helicopter and the camera keeps whizzing around the helicopter in this one singular shot. Yeah. The problem is, I don't know what I'm supposed to be focusing on. And if it's John Connor, he's not doing anything that's particularly interesting. No. And you get this n- nuke going off in the background and this HK taken off in a distance. It's like, why aren't we focusing on that? If they had decided to shoot this section a lot more traditionally, mm. we-, we would see these things that are going on elsewhere, these more interesting things more clearly. But yeah. I think he got kind of buried in his own inspirations yeah you're like i really love children of men i want to do a shot like that exactly but i uh, haven't got a shot that justifies it. exactly yeah yeah but yeah going back talking about the writing as well uh, going back to uh, when jonathan mostow was involved and this was going to be the film that followed terminate well this this was the film that followed terminate 3 but this was going to be a jonathan mostow directed film one of the things that he actually wanted was that this film was going to explore something called project angel which was Skynet's real motivations for causing the apocalypse. And right. it's one of these things that really doesn't work. Originally, when Sam Worthington, when Marcus Wright gets to the complex, Skynet Central, I can't remember, something happens and he gets knocked out or something in a firefight. Mm. I think, um, and, and there's a bomb that's due to go off at Skynet Central, much like in the film. And um, he awakes in Skynet Central and you're expecting it to be some kind of horrible laboratory somewhere or some horrible place where Terminators are going to do terrible things to him and instead he wakes up in this like field on I think there's people playing golf and there's golf buggies going past and stuff like that inside Skynet and it's actually turns out that the end game of Skynet was to actually create human Terminator hybrids and that when they had turned online it had kind of figured out that humanity would have gone extinct in 200 years time anyway mm. so it decided to wipe out everybody to save them from themselves and um thought that the way forward was to create these human 
machine hybrids. That motivation doesn't actually make sense at all. <laughs> when whenever you were when you approach it with any kind of like uh, logic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the idea that Skynet would think, oh no, we need to save humanity. Time to launch the nukes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and and that was originally going to be the the like a huge chunk of the end of the film. And that explained why Marcus was the way that he was. Mm. And that went actually quite far into production. If you look in the film, there are still some hints in the film yeah, that this yeah. is where they're going. I think when they are first pushed into the cattle cage, Kyle Reese at Skynet Central, when they look up, they're being watched by people in windows. Yeah, and they're supposed yeah, to be the, yeah. the human Terminator hybrids watching them from a window from inside their kind of little paradise. Yeah. And also, we don't even know whether those people in the cage at the beginning of the film, because obviously we see Marcus Wright on the slab, Mm -hmm. and then there's the other people in the cage. We don't even know whether they are. Yeah. We never see those characters again, do we? No, Uh, no, we don't. They get blown up along with everybody else. So we don't even know whether they're part of that Mm -hmm. experiment as well. That's why I say the film's very uh, half-baked, because it has some genuinely very good ideas like yeah. that and then it just wastes them because it has to keep going back to john connor well that's yeah and people and, uh, and, and miss nothing yeah 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 and people that actually uh, were invited to visit the set were told or lectured about how much this project angel was going to play a big part in the film and it ended up playing no part whatsoever yeah, yeah. so it was filmed it is there somewhere on the cutting room floor and um Again, it makes Marcus Wright a nothing character. We never really get to the bottom of who he is. Instead, they come up with this new idea. The idea that is that he's been made to kill John Connor, essentially. Yeah, he's like the perfect infiltration unit. Yeah, which doesn't actually make any sense because what you really need... It, like, he had ample opportunity many times to kill John Connor and yeah. doesn't doesn't take it because he's <laughs> no. human. So that doesn't make any sense. And also they And also Kyle Reese. And also the way that they've designed him is made it very easy for him to uh, tear out his chip that's giving him his protocols. Yeah. <laughs> it's like just under the skin. There we are. I torn it out. There mm-hmm. we are. Fuck you, Skynet. Why doesn't that chip like kick in the moment he sees Kyle Reese? And why doesn't he then Yeah. Why is there no moment in the film where Marcus Wright is unable to control himself and goes to kill John Connor, but he can do nothing about it. That's the most obvious scene that you could do with yeah. this kind of situation, and they don't do it. I think it's because they wasted that on Terminator yeah. 3, because we get that moment where the T-800 in that film tries to kill John Connor, but turns itself off. I think it's because it's been wasted in that film, and yet yeah. they've set it up again for Terminator Salvation, yeah. but just done nothing with it. Yeah. Because there is ample opportunity throughout the film yeah. for Marcus Wright to kill the very people that Skynet want dead. Yeah. In this version, Skynet just comes across as fucking stupid. Yeah. I mean, I think in the other version, they come across as stupid, but at least they have some kind of motivation, <laughs> as flimsy as it is. Again, it just illustrates to me that this was a script that just needed thrown out and being rewrote from the bottom up. And the other thing as well, the whole there's the whole subplot involving this signal. And just the way that they've come about this signal, it's, it's so obvious yeah. at the start that it's a trap. It's like you even want Admiral Akbar coming and going, it's a trap! <laughs> it's, a trap. <laughs> it's like, seriously, I mean, it's like, who the fuck put Michael Ironside in charge? Because he's thick as pig shit in this film. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah, and the film's been retooled around the T-800 as well, which is yeah. 
feels so small and quite insignificant a, yeah. a a plot thread to follow like the apocalypse has already happened you know the the creation of the t800 the world is already kind of full of terminators anyway the creation of the t800 i know that they're um they're supposed to be the number one infiltrators but it just doesn't feel big and, enough and also the addition of marcus wright makes the t800 more redundant because yeah marcus wright as a character and what he is is uh, in theory better yeah. than the T800 because at the end of the day, T800 looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> so yeah. it's actually much bigger and more clunky than Marcus Wright. So, in fact, the T800 is a step backwards from what they're experimenting on. And again, it, like I say, it makes it feel smaller because they're kind of mythologizing yeah. and putting on a pedestal this T800. When in fact, what we really wanted to see, and they don't give us anywhere near enough of is the is the earlier products which is like the t600 and stuff and the weird thing is that they go out of their way to undo what they already shot yeah because even on the back of the i've got the blu-ray here there's a photograph of the t600 mm-hmm. with its uh rubbery face on and i don't know what the uh, the thinking of this but at some point in the post-production of the film they decided that I'd imagine they decided that, oh no, this doesn't look Terminator-y enough. Yeah. Like, we want to see more of the endoskeleton. So they've inadvertently gone and actually rotoscoped on an endoskeleton yeah. face on it, basically robbing the design of any uniqueness. Yeah. Because I think it's a really kind of scary design as well. It yeah. looks quite unsettling. Yeah. And I almost wish that this film did just take a like a, a holdover f- from the previous setups of Term- the Terminator and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I like that this film does try something new, but I, I do wish that we had that hero Terminator, that villain mm. that was kind of chasing them through the film. I miss that chase. And the chase that is set up in this, you never really get a sense of the bad guys because it's always changing. Yeah. First it's the T six hundred, then it's the motor it's the harvester, then it's the motor terminators, then it's the HK, then it's this, yeah, then it's yeah. that it's like, oh what's next? You never get a real real handle on on a singular villain. Yeah. And I really and want to don't a have any uh, personality either no. which you get from the other Terminators. It's all a bit too general, I suppose. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't focus on things enough to make them feel like a a viable threat. That's it. it's like you can still have all those things, but let's have a one like a constant Mm. let's have a a feeling that they can't rest at any point because this film doesn't have that i think the other thing that it does as well i think this is also a problem of them fleshing out well expanding john connor's role but not adding anything to it is that it makes john connor and his whole band of troops look like absolute massive dicks (laughs) like they're not likable in any sense or compelling like we're saying the the other the other week about you don't have to have things that are likable they have to be compelling at the same time but this they just come out of a bunch of twats really like Mm -hmm. especially when they're trying to sort of continually shoot down marcus right and it's just like they kind of realize by now that he's he's not what it what they think he is and it's i just feel like they they go all overboard to try and destroy this this person that they know nothing about yeah I don't know. I'm not sure whether it's just because of the, the controversy as well, like this the, the way that Christian Bale plays John Connor. He's just so un, utterly unlikable in this film mm-hmm. and unrelatable. Yeah. I think there's one scene that I actually like him in, and it's one where he doesn't actually say much at all. And that's <laughs> where when Moon Bloodgood, I forgot her name, Blair, I think her character Yeah, Blair Williams. Yeah. When she releases 
Marcus Wright and it is then captured by John Connor and put into like a holding cell. He simply enters the room, says a couple of words to him, nods like, okay, so you let him go, it's fine. And then like kind of leaves, like he instantly understands without saying much at all. I was like, that's the scene that works. That's the scene where he feels like a leader, like the leader from Terminator 2 as well. The one that doesn't have to say anything, but kind of demands the presence in the room. Yeah. I was like, eh, if only the rest of it would have been like that as well. You know what the thing is about John Connor, the savior of humanity, is I just find that he seems to me like a bit of a boring character. Yeah. And that's not the story that I want to be told in this post-apocalyptic landscape. Like I say, I think the Terminator universe is spread wide and there's still much to explore. And instead, so many filmmakers come along and they get themselves bogged down in the same situations time Mm -hmm. and time again with the same characters. I do want to go to the next city over i do want to do something profoundly different and yeah this film just doesn't do enough and what it was going to do it leaves undone i do have a couple of quotes from john brancato on his experience writing the film yeah and this is back when he was working with jonathan mostow he says we never had a solid third act in any of our drafts the producers on mostow were very focused on what does skynet want and we felt we needed to get into the computer system's motivations. This always felt kind of dumb, on the level of, would an alien say that? By definition, if it is alien, it's beyond human understanding. We tried one version where Skynet had projected human extinction and destroyed the world in order to save it, via semi-immortal hybrids. Because the bombed-out environment gets so oppressive, the director wanted a clean, suburban, colourful place where the hybrids dwell in a Prozac state of bliss, connected to the larger computer awareness. It all verged on the goofy. As we wrote it, we knew it had to change. So they never actually worked with Mick G, and Jonathan Nolan was touted as the film's writer at Comic-Con. Their involvement in the lead-up to the film's release was essentially wiped from the film, and Mick G actually said that if he had his way, Jonathan Nolan would be the sole writer of the script, which I think is actually unfair. He goes on in this article to talk about how they were in the audience during this Comic-Con panel. Hmm. And to hear McGee actually say these things while the film that they presented was remarkably similar to what (laughs) they had wrote um, was quite disheartening. And when he did actually meet McGee, McGee gave him a hug and like talks about how their experience was great working together and stuff like that even though they had never actually met before <laughs> um, they didn't actually like the film so hollywood it is it, <laughs> I, the thing is i don't like john brancato he he sounds very pompous full of himself and he's essentially a writer for hire he's a he's a studio guy and he's a guy that doesn't even like the terminator films and that's, that much. he has no respect for the terminator films and that is probably why terminator 3 comes across looking like a spoof yeah but he's also incredibly inappropriate let's talk a little bit first this is what he says about terminator 2 he says eight years after the terminator i stood in line at the cinerama dome for the opening night of t2 judgment day for all the cool digital morphs the movie was a sprawling mess bloated and self-important on multiple levels it was a betrayal of the original i couldn't stand it the idea of a third installment with a new director struck me as sleazy and a little sad 
The two Terminators had come to be seen as sacred works of genius, fueling the cult of James Cameron. Lines like I'll be back and hasta la vista baby were permanently enshrined in pop culture. Put some other dude behind the camera, throw in new writers and skip any involvement from the king of the world, the world would line up to hate you. I mean, it sounds like he has no respect for the originals whatsoever. No, so no. it beggars belief that he's actually been hired to write not one, but two films. And after Terminator Salvation came out, he reported that he was contacted to write a further film for them. <laughs> and I don't understand why they keep returning to these guys that whose, whose scripts are really not great. It's like a wife that keeps returning to her abusive husband. Exactly. And it, <laughs> I mean, talking about inappropriate metaphors... <laughs> <laughs> He actually likens his work to making gas showerheads in concentration camps. And this is his quote. He says, hey, it's a job. The genocide wasn't my idea. I mean, that's... Drops the mic. (laughs) (laughs) He's an awful guy in every sense of the word. But if you can actually find this... It's not an interview, but this write-up by him about his experience working in Hollywood. It's an incredibly fascinating read. I think if you just search his name and Terminator Salvation, you'll find some forum somewhere where this article is posted. (laughs) It's definitely great for reading in terms of just figuring out just how Hollywood works. Okay, before we go any further, I think it's time for a break, and we're going to move on to our ads. Buy your hydro (laughs) toy! It wriggles! It squiggles! It's the Hydrobot, <laughs> available from all Toy Masters now. <laughs> ah, Toy Master. <laughs> to help us continue to keep the lights on at Best Forgotten Movies HQ, we're launching a new series of movie commentaries under the name The Popcorn Digest with Gareth and Andy. Currently, we have recorded commentaries for Spectre and Alien Resurrection with more to come. This content will be available to any of our fans that donate to our Patreon account found in this podcast description and on our Twitter and Facebook pages. So, now back to the show. Okay, and before we actually get back to the show, I just want to give a quick congratulations to Matt and Lizzie, who are two of our listeners that recently got married. So, uh, from everybody here at Best Forgotten Movies, which is me and you. Yep. uh, (laughs) No one else. Congratulate you and wish you all the best. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, now back to the show. Buy your Christian Bale action figure. (laughs) Now even more obnoxious. Comes in a variety of accents. Mom, can I have a Moto Terminator? (laughs) (laughs) No, you can have the old woman action figure. <laughs> She's got carrots as her like as her uh, accessories. <laughs> Mum, can I please have a Sam Worthington action figure? He's so charismatic. Oh, can I have a star action figure? Comes with no special features. <laughs> Let's speak about star. Actually, yes. that's a good time yeah. to actually start speaking you about star as there. a character. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice tied us straight in. So. I mean, of all the characters in the scripts, I think she is probably the worst out of the lot of them. Does she qualify as a character? I thought she just wandered on set one day and they just let her stay because she had no parents to go back to. <laughs> she's not a shade. She's like, she's not a character. She's a shade. Yeah. She's a spectre. She's a, <laughs> she's a figment of uh, Anton Yelchin's imagination. <laughs> See, Ugh. I like the setup of that character in that she is there to function as an example of Kyle Reese's tendencies to protect and abilities to protect somebody who cannot protect themselves. And it's setting up, really, it's foreshadowing what Kyle Reese is to become. But 
then it goes nowhere. Yeah, the writers <laughs> cheat, nothing. cheat themselves out of actually, or write themselves out of actually having to contribute any effort to creating a character by just having her say nothing. Instead, they just have her as being. Like I say, she's not a character. She's just a function of the script. She's a a mechanic of the script. She doesn't have any flesh to her. Yeah, I think they try and make her do something when they're in the factory, and they kind of make it look as if she's the one that discovered the fuel cells, but John kind of knows what they are anyway. Yeah. So it does. It renders her discovery completely The lift was anyway. right next to them anyway. They yeah. were going to find them. <clears throat> yeah. And that's, that's about it. She doesn't really function in the script at all. Mm. Yeah, it's just really very lazy writing. I feel I can imagine every writer that's had to contribute to this film coming on board, looking at the script and going, okay, well, at least we don't have to do anything with that character. <laughs> <laughs> There's some work I can skip over. Or can we cut this character out? Nope. Yeah. We have to appeal to the child demographic. Exactly. That, that, that's, it's, it's what she's there for. That is clearly all she is there for. Yeah. It's such a shame. I mean, it's, it's not really. It's, it's because the films are nothing anyway. And it's almost as if someone's gone, oh, yes, the only reason Terminator 3 wasn't as successful as Terminator 2 is that it didn't have a kid in it. Yeah. <laughs> Therefore, we should put a child here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not very good. Anyway, let's move a little bit beyond the writing because I think we've actually spent, the majority of the episode has actually been spent talking about the writing. So, shall we talk about a few of the performances? I mean... Yeah, yeah. Who would you say works in this film and who doesn't? Bear in mind, we spoke about Christian Bale already. Yeah, yeah. I think the two characters that work the best in the film are Sam Worthington's character. And the reason is because you can generally tell that the film's meant to be about him. Yeah. And everything's tooled around him, even though the film would try and make you think that it's not. And um, Anton Yelchin as Carl Reese. Yeah, Anton Yelchin as Kyle Reese made yeah. me want this film to just be about him. Very much so. Uh, Anton Yelchin. I know. It's it's hard to talk about him without yeah. actually getting a bit sad at the moment. Yeah, because how... as soon as he popped up, because I don't think Jess knew that he was in this film. And she was like, oh, Anton Yelchin. And I was like, yeah, he's in this film. And I remember <laughs> back when this film was being made and Anton Yelchin was cast as Kyle Reese, there was a lot of... Um, and many of the fans actually spoke out against it yeah. because apparently he was too weedy. But actually, I think he bears some resemblance to Michael Bean, like yeah, of, yeah. of that age. And I, I saw some pictures of them, like fa- like not face to face, but side by side. And it's like I can see the resemblance. He yeah. does actually fit it, and he actually he embodies that character really quite well. A lot better than Jai Courtney does. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. Oh god, that film. Why couldn't it have been him? <laughs> and again, it's a shame that the film, in the end, reduces him down to a, a damsel in distress. Pretty much, end, yeah. Because he is literally the damsel in distress of the person that needs saving. And, and they try and sort of uh, build him up as becoming more of a, a leadership figure mm-hmm. when they get captured. But it, it's it's still, at the end of the day, a damsel in distress figure. Yeah. In fact, I, I have many issues with the end of the film anyway because it's just uh it's just a repeat of the end of t1 and t2 yeah it's like a mixing of the two yeah Um, i actually like the t800 that they use in this i think it's used quite effectively in that it's not on screen a lot of the time but i don't think 
it doesn't have the power of no. for instance Terminator Two. Once these are uh, two machines go come face to face and have their final battle with the T one thousand and the T eight hundred. It's this absolutely fantastic action scene. And there's not really that much action, it's just uh, the T one thousand completely dominating T eight hundred and you are feeling every single punch, every single body blow. Every yeah. you know and it, it lands so well. Whereas with this film, when once Sam Worthington turns up and the T eight hundred and him go head to head, it's I feel nothing. No, it's very I don't routine. feel anything. But I actually, I, I like, I like that, for instance, a really creepy moment where the T-800 is used to shout out for John Connor and Kyle yeah, Reese's I like that voice. And nice. I like that reveal as he turns a corner and it's right there, yeah. very close. And I was like, oh, for a moment, it it got me then. Yeah, I think that's the, there's only two moments in the whole film that are like that, where you go, whoa, sort yeah. of thing. The other one is um, at the end of that helicopter crash at the start where you have the, the half endoskeleton grabbing onto his leg. Yeah. That's the only other bit where it really makes the endoskeletons look really scary. But other times, it, they're not really that scary in this yeah, film. Yeah, I agree. I actually think that the um, the sound design and that that scene as well is, is great. The, in, that, in the fact, way that they move is... In fact, I'd say the sound design of this film is great. It's yeah. one of the real positives of the film. It truly is. Every every time I notice it, I love that you can... It's, it almost has this kind of digital sound as it's moving. It's uh, like... This... We're, t- we're talking about the farting robots. The, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> constantly... They're like the HKs and the big transporters are constantly farting. <laughs> but no, I, I, I really... Yeah, I do love the sound design in this film. I Too think much it's digital Very curry. strong. <laughs> and again, to just sum up Christian Bale, I just think he's... Like again, just asked to repeat that yeah. Batman role, really, uh-huh. to be very gruff and angry. And what is it about Bryce Dallas Howard? She has a knack of being cast in complete nothing characters, thankless roles. Yeah, like <laughs> it's just an endless stream of them as well. <laughs> well, I mean, I liked <laughs> I liked her in Lady in the Water. I think yeah. that she was she was good in that, but the film was awful. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think the only film I actually liked to him, which even though she complains a complete bitch in it, is uh, 50-50. 50-50. She's yeah. really good in that. Yeah. Very good. But um, yeah, things like Jurassic World and yeah. all that kind of... And Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3, yeah. yeah. Again, it's... The other Grand Stacy. <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah. yeah, she is often in these thankless roles. Yeah. And also, like, I get a feeling that a lot of her... Scenes were cut from the film because yeah, was she pregnant as well? Yep, they make no reference to the fact that she's pregnant. I think we get one shot of her pregnant belly, and yep. then every other shot is she's shown from the waist up. Yeah, like they just want us to forget it, and all that has been cut aside. They, for some weird reason, mysteriously cut the rest of that part out of the character. We really need to talk about the editing as well yeah. in this film because it's clearly that it's been edited to ribbons and one of the clear indicators of that is actually Terry Crews's role or <laughs> lack of a role in this film because he turns up for all of two shots. You see him jumping off a helicopter with John Connor at the beginning and the next time we see him he's dead on the floor. He essentially has the role of an extra. I'm not saying that Terry Crews is an A-list that deserves 90 minutes of your screen time but he certainly got more screen presence and more charisma that he deserves more than what is essentially a glorified extras role. I wouldn't even call it that. I didn't realise he was even in the film until the credits rolled up. I was like, oh right, he played his brother. Because yeah. I thought, there's a guy lying dead in the background that looks a bit like Terry Crews. But then I, because I was so unengaged anyway, I completely forgot that he was in the film. Yeah, it's clear that the firefight above ground where they're below has been completely omitted from the film. Here's the thing as well. I... 
always know that a film has had problems in post-production or problems somewhere in production when you get a scroll and very much like which film were we doing where they had a scroll after the credits we watched tarzan that had a cruise oh yeah scroll. yeah it's very much like tarzan and and Heinleder two before it dungeons and dragons Dungeons and dragons that's what it was but when you get films where you actually have text scroll after the actual opening sequence Ugh. you know something's gone wrong in the edit or there's been a section of the film they haven't been allowed to shoot mm-hmm. in fact going back to when we were talking about Born Legacy. The only other film I can think about that's had that kind of um, problem is Jurassic Park Three. Yeah, in that way, obviously, where there's that that's had so many problems in the edit that the entire third act is missing. Yes, yeah, because <laughs> it's been budgeted out, and this feels like they had a sequence for the um, the nuclear future Earth and everything, yeah. and it's been either budgeted out or they've had problems with it, or it's just been cut out for time or something. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like there should be a sequence here. Yeah, they've had to fill it in with text. Yes, yeah, it does. And again, like the whole ground assault is meant to be much more extensive than it is, mm-hmm. but for some weird reason, they want to get to the Terminators quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I suppose you just want to get the film along um, yeah. much quicker. But but we're left then with like hanging threads, like Commons character in the film Barnes, mm. yeah. Barnes and Noble. Barnes <laughs> and Noble. <laughs> when we first see him, he asks John Connor, "What about my brother?" Yeah. And John kind of like shakes his head solemnly, like, no, he didn't make it. And it's like, we don't care. We don't know who his brother is. I assume it was just that other black guy that that's laid dead on the floor that happens to be Terry Crews. But what does it matter? And, yeah. and it seems that Common's character is defined by his love for his brother, who is a character that we as an audience have never met. Yeah. And, and when we have seen him, he's dead. <laughs> So why do we care? Yeah, you, you can really tell that there's been problems with the edit. Like there's there's other weird jump cuts, like uh, when he's trying to find the command in the sub. Yeah, and then he does that sort of dive into the ocean, and then the next shot is in, on the sub. Mm-hmm. So like, how the fuck did he even find the sub? Yeah, how's he not dying of hypothermia? It's like, like a story cheat. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's so goofy that part as yeah. well because it's like. Do we not know that the sub... Uh, how, how do we not know it's like 500 feet below the surface? Yeah. You know? It doesn't take like 20 minutes to rise to get to him or something. The thing is with the, with the sub, I, I'm still at odds as to how Skynet don't know what they are. Yeah, haven't they got fucking submarine? all these fucking hydrobot shits and stuff like that? Yeah. Why don't they just send out some to the ocean, f- locate it, blow it up? Yeah, it's... It's a fucking submarine and an old one at that. Skynet's stupid. Yeah. Skynet's just stupid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and another thing that this film falls into the trap of that's really grown worthy yeah. is that not only do we get an opening credit sequence, yeah, but then when the film actually begins and the prologue begins, that also has credits over the top of it. <laughs> it's like... It is like a TV show. The clue is in the fucking name. It's opening credit sequence. It's like, (laughs) you don't have to have these credits going over the rest of the film as well. Yeah, it's very distracting. Yeah. It's such a weird cross dissolve as well to go from that thing where it goes goes to white and then directed by Mick G and then it goes to that text scroll as well. Yeah. It's like, It almost feels like this was the part, this was the start of the film at some point. Yeah. This was all flashback. Mm Mm-hmm. At some point, I would say. Yeah. Uh, you know, just speaking about... I know we keep going back to the writing, but just speaking about it, I would say as well, even though this film has a few ideas I really 
like about it. Um, I'd say each individual line is close, if not completely grown worthy. You know, <laughs> like each line lands with this kind of like wet slap. It's like, oh, yeah. I can't believe you said that. And it, the line that always gets me is when Michael Ironside's General Ashdown, yeah. whose character's name I had to look up on IMDb, <laughs> um, when he says something about that little frogman stunt you pulled. I was like, oh, why can't someone come up with something better than oh, that? My best one is, uh, is another Michael Ironside and then, one. And then that one where Sam Worthington, Marcus Wright, says, so that's what death tastes like. It's like, oh, fuck off, mate. Oh. The other one, my other best one is um, when he says, Commence bombing of Skynet. Oh my god. <laughs> it's like some out of some sort of B movie. <laughs> it feels like every line's a placeholder. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I hate all the placements of all the classic lines in this film as well. Like, come with me if you want to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it's probably not quite as bad as Terminator Genesis, but it is close. Uh, where you've got the come with me, want to live. Uh, I'll be back. Well, if you think kind of this stuff. film's bad with that kind of stuff, yeah, but yeah. it's kind of references. I, I know that the Terminator Genesis, Genesis is, is so much worse. Yeah. You know what? We really need to do Terminator yeah. Genesis at some point. Fuck you, fan poll. We're going to do yeah. it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a commentary. Mm. <laughs> best one, absolute best, is the sequel speech right at the end of the film. Oh, is that... that the, it's... Uh, John Connor's voiceover basically saying yep there's going to be a sequel yeah. literally every ah. single line in it just says uh, search continues and we know yeah. we're... and also the fact that he mentions Skynet has survived even though we saw it completely decimated yeah the thing <laughs> is though what is achieved in this film nada what what does this film serve to do because all, oh all they the... found car race that's about it really but that's it all <laughs> it does is it moves a few a couple of chess pieces yeah. along a board it doesn't do anything more than that it just moves a couple of characters into the right yeah. place and that's all it serves to actually achieve nothing else is achieved by the end of the yeah. film whereas if they'd stuck with the original ending it would have mm-hmm. at least had a complete like about turn yeah. sort of spin everything on its head sort of thing i actually think as well that in the edit it's in the edit that this t800 subplot's been created because i do remember i, I had the art of book before this film came out and the thing is the artwork for this film is amazing. Yeah. Many of the designs, I think, are still top-notch, even if they are a little bit Michael Bayish, like your Hydrobots and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I think, like, I know we have issues with the desaturated look of the film, but I like that it's completely different than what we've seen of yeah. this future war. I like that it takes it in a completely other direction, but it also feels like this world could grow into that once these kind of laser battles begin. But one of the things I think they actually created in the editing room is that the T-800 at the end of the film isn't actually a T-800. It's a T-700. It's made mm. from a different metal alloy. And in the Art of Book, that is there. That was what it was supposed to be building towards. Yeah, and the I... T-800 was something that was supposed to be coming the next film along and hinted at the I, next I film I did notice it didn't look the same. No, it it's... looked bigger and clunkier. It's bigger, it's clunkier. And if you notice, it's like... Um, it's got a different texture to the metal. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a lot like more bumpy and stuff, so mm. it's a lot more rigid. And um, I, f- I feel like they wasted that. I feel like they actually did waste the kind of exploring uh, the, the Skynet's development between Terminators. It's not as bad as that Terminator 3 advert, though, where they have the... Oh, jeez. Arnold Schwarzenegger's like, hey, I'm Bob here. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Bob. It's like, we need to change the voice. I can fix that. Yeah. But that's the thing, I think, um, 
when I first saw the film, I actually came out as on, on, on a positive side when I first saw it. I yeah, thought it was yeah. a complete mess, but I still came out feeling quite positive because I'd watched it back-to-back with Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. And Terminator 3 is a film that I don't just dislike. It's a film that I actively hate. I think it, it has one brave scene in it, and otherwise, it's a complete spoof. Yeah. It's a film that's made by people who are clearly ashamed of the film that they're making. And that is even more apparent now that we've read that John Brancato didn't actually like the film or like the series, and that is entirely apparent in the film. The thing is with Terminator Salvation is I feel like it's made by people that have their heart in the right place, that clearly love the Terminator series, but they have no idea how to do it justice. Mm. And so when I came out, I was actually quite, I was on a positive side. It's like, yeah, it was stupid. It was dumber than a bag of hammers. It was clear that 17 people wrote it, but uh, <laughs> but uh, at, at least they dealt with the series with at least some kind of respect. And uh, I think I think a lot of people thought that at the time it was, at the time when it came out initially, it was regarded as being quite refreshing. I mean, even just looking at the Blu-ray box here, we've got quotes from Total Film. The Terminator story recharges with a post-apocalyptic jolt of energy. Four stars, total film. Empire Gate, four um, stars. A megaton of bangs for your book, Nuts. <laughs> R.I.P. Nuts magazine. <laughs> Not. uh, they give it five star. Wow. Ooh. It's always telling when you have five star or four star reviews on your posters and it says like nuts or the sun. zoo. Zoo. Yeah. The sun is the other the one. Sun, yeah. yeah. You never want to get a good review from it. the sun. Yeah. It's just like a, a, it's a, it's a mark of shitness. Yeah. Um, yeah, Loaded gave it four star, Empire four star, Sunday Mirror four star, Mail on Sunday, <laughs> that old harmless newspaper, four star. I think so it looked as if like people were like, oh yeah, it's something different. That's it. And then it's afterwards that it's yeah been looked at as I, like, oh, I, it isn't actually as good as it we thought I don't it think it has any rewatch value. I think no, that's the doesn't. thing, because when you rewatch it again, you're like, oh, this actually is a, is a bit dull. And yeah. that, that dullness bleeds through more and more. Every time. Every mm. time you sit down to watch it. Especially because now we know that the film is completely redundant. Well, at least it doesn't have a shitly spelled title anyway. It's not like Sal Threshen or something like that. <laughs> or Salivation or Sal Fortune. Yeah. <laughs> I, they could have either yeah, done that Sal when they replaced an A yeah. with a four. Because <laughs> it's Terminator 4. They could have eaten that. That's that. If they'd made, if the team behind Genesis had made this yeah. film, it totally would have had a four yeah. in the fucking logo. <laughs> or the Fantastic Four. Oh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure when Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer came out, on the uh, certification thing that comes before the film starts, it just said four Rise of the Silver Surfer. Oh, in the circle? Me, yeah, yeah. It just made me cringe. No, it just said four. Really? Colon. Rise of the Silver Surfer. Oh, no. Like, oh. Yeah. That's a film for another day. It is. It is. Another one I went to the cinema to see. Me too. <laughs> Why did I go and see it? I didn't it? even like the first one. No, I don't think I even saw the first one at the cinema. I, I, don't even... I, I didn't go to the cinema to no. see it. I watched it on, on like DVD or something yeah, somebody else's house. But I saw Silver Surfer at the cinema. Yeah, I mean, why, why did we go? Why... Did oh. we go together? I have a funny feeling that we might have. We might have done. I can't, th- can't think of any other reason why I would have It might gone. have been in Syncop, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. I think uh, the last thing that we really need to actually... Uh, well, there's two more things, two mm. more points of discussion. and uh, One is the music by Danny Elfman. Yeah. Which uh, the Brad Fidel score for Terminator and Terminator 2 is rightly iconic. Yeah. 
Uh, how would you describe the music for this film? It's refreshing that it doesn't sound like a Danny Elfman score, like because yeah. I do find that Danny Elfman a lot of the time is just he sort of he flogs a dead horse, yeah, sort of thing. Where it's like I've got the Danny Elfman sound, mm-hmm. and it's like we've we've heard this all before, Danny. He falls back on the yeah. same toys, really. James Horner has the same issue. Always falling back on the same <laughs> conventions. But at the same time, it's um, very bland. <laughs> yeah. So it's like when he's not doing Danny Elfman sound, he's just sort of not really, he's, he's like not quite sure what he wants to do. And it's yeah. Just, yeah, there's no identity to it, really. It's just, it's a sci-fi action score. Well, that's it. I would say that it borrows the right inspirations from Brad Fidel's original scores in that you do have those metal hits you do have those like um like guitars as well yeah playing. it borrows the right inspiration it's does something different with them but what it's doing different is just um it's kind of a generic action score like you yeah, say it's not yeah. serving to go anywhere with it unfortunately and i guess it's a generic action score because it's a generic action film at the end yeah. of the day and um the only times that it actually does feature that recurring dun 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 oh. theme it's clearly it's not actually part of the music at yeah. all and just been shoehorned in. I had the score and it's not on the score. Yeah, it's really horrible. It is. And, I mean, there is that moment. There is that moment that it's used for the big <sighs> reveal that Arnold Schwarzenegger is not in this film. <laughs> <laughs> but even then, it's like it's used to evoke the wrong feelings. Yeah. Like, uh, this is supposed to be a moment of... It, it should be of of it, complete it, it terror. It should be like a oh fuck moment. Yeah, where it's like it it tries to pass it up as a hooray moment. Yeah. Fan Here's fair. the things you love. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas fan I, service. I did see a clip online on YouTube where somebody had rescored that scene with the T eight hundred heartbeat from the Terminator. Yeah, and it was so much it's more terrifying, effective. Yeah, yeah. Because the shot's not bad in itself, other than the dodgy CGI. Yeah. But it was far more effective um, yeah. it, with that music. Yeah. Somebody fucked up there. And that's definitely a studio. It, it is. It feels like an obvious studio thing. We're like, we need to fanfare this, because this is the bit that fans have been waiting for. <laughs> Did you know that Danny Elfman was not actually the first choice to no, no, do the yeah, music a, for um, there were quite Terminator a few Salvation? The yeah, the, the Hans Zimmer. Mm-hmm. And then was it Tom York and Johnny Greenwood to Tom do Tom York and Johnny the, Greenwood yeah. to do all the Skynet stuff, yeah, and then somebody else to do all the human stuff. Mm-hmm. I think you would have got a really incoherent score there, though. I think. I think so as well. And Hans Zimmer did actually come round to contributing to a Terminator film with Terminator Genesis, which um, I think it was scored by Lorne Balf. Oh right, yeah. yeah. But it's um, produced by Hans Zimmer ah, in the right, credits. Yeah, yeah. He even has a singular credit. So yeah, he did it. Eventually, get round to doing a Terminator film <laughs> in some capacity. Unfortunately, it was the wrong one. Yeah, <laughs> you know what the thing is with that film is uh, with that film score is that it's all fan service, but it does work kind of well. Mm. Um, I I didn't mind the score to Genesis, but again, it's it, it falls in the same trap as this one, as it's just a bit generic. Mm. What did you think about the Arnie reveal as well? Uh, it's kind of unnecessary because yeah. it's one of those things where it's such a obvious fan service moment because because Arnie wasn't involved in the film at all yeah uh, and it's obviously a photostat that they've stuck onto a CGI model or tried to model it off they get rid of the face so quickly that it it becomes irrelevant there's no yeah. you may as well just had the endoskeleton yeah and, and say- also continuity wise like you were saying it's not even a t800 that it's that it's on it's a t700 so yeah. it, it renders the whole thing 
a bit of a nonsense anyway. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's such it's it's too small to be a significant part of the story. If you were going to do that, it needed to be a much major part of the story. Yeah. Whereas this, it's literally just an offhand fan thing. Mm-hmm. And that's all it is, really. Yeah, it's just a little bit of fan demand, isn't it? Yeah. Like, we can't have a Terminator film without some sort of presence from Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger. Which I wish the series would get away from a little bit. I think it can survive Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And again, I would say that this is one of the things that actually Terminator Genesis did better. Yeah. Was that the scenes where they did recreate young Arnie were far stronger. But yeah. I guess they had much better reference material to go from. And the, the, I guess the last thing that I have to even mention is just that this was the last film that Stan Winston worked on. Yeah. And um, I'll always remember when Stan Winston died because on that very day, I bought the inside Stan Winston Studios book and I was poring over it when my now wife came into the room and told me that Stan Winston had just died whilst I was just poring over his book. And um, I do think that the work in this film is largely strong in terms of Stan Winston Studios. The practical effects are strong. Yeah, it does have some really nice practical effects in this film. Mm -hmm. And I like that about it as well, that there is plenty of CGI in there, but it does rely on practical effects very often. And it's got a good combination of both, I would say. It's just unfortunate, like I say, like things like the Harvester robot are just a step too far into Michael Bay direction and the Moto Terminators as well. It looks like like an overweight Iron Giant. It does. (laughs) And I don't understand its purpose as well because it's supposed to be a Harvester that sneaks up on people and starts to, um, like, pick them up like how, how did they not hear it coming like yeah fucking well, thudding keep, steps this happens a lot away. in the film where you get flying robots or robots like that where they creep up on the characters and then as soon as they're revealed they make so much noise yeah and it's like it's just, <laughs> <laughs> these characters are all deaf yeah if it happened just once i'd be like okay it's it, it was for a nice little yeah, jump yeah. or something but it happens constantly throughout the entire film you get the huge jets of the hk yeah I'm now in shock. More noise. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 a bit goofy. It is. Yeah. So, do you have anything else to add on Terminator Salvation before we move on to the stats and facts? Not really, because it's just a film that I, I, there's not much to really say. Or it's yeah. Not... It's got an interesting production history. I think there's things that could be looked into, like uh, James Cameron's flip flop on whether or not this film is um is is good or not. Yeah. And um, yeah. I know that. Mick G used to come out in like Comic Con and stuff and talk about how James Cameron gave the film his blessing and then James Cameron came out publicly and said, Well, no, I haven't. Yeah, we I- had a conversation and I gave him some tips and I recommended Sam Worthington and that was about it. Yeah, and he did say that like if this uh, if there was gonna be a sequel, this would be the kind of one to do. Yeah. Sort of thing. But yeah, I don't think he um well I say I don't think he actually likes any of the sequels, even though he was paid probably quite a lot of money to do that yeah i think genesis i think time is told because he's always come out vocally supportive of the sequels as they've been out i think he's just a professional in that he's not going to piss in somebody else's soup to use it to use a phrase that he often uses now when referring to the alien series or terminator but he, he will give it the space to do its thing and then he will come out and say what he actually thinks of it. So maybe in <laughs> another I think, three I or think, four I years' think... time, we'll get what he actually yeah. feels about Terminator Genesis. True, well. I think with things doing like the Genesis advert, I think that um, was a bit of a step too far. Yes. Because it was publicly, like, it was on TV all the time. Yeah. And um, it's things like that that can really 
damage, damage your, your reputation yeah. because at the end of the day, if he's saying that and it's just like a cash in hand, like what's your judgment on quality? Yeah. Are you being paid to say that you're exactly, like... Exactly, yeah. Well, your opinion comes to mean so much less. Yeah. And then your opinion of your own films becomes less as well. Yeah. Okay, so now that we've exchanged laser fire with Terminator Salvation, it's that time of the episode where we start to discuss just... How did this film fare with critics and audiences? What was the box office? What did the critics think? It's time to move on to the stats and the facts. Statistics. <laughs> First up, we have the critics. Okay, so the Rotten Tomatoes score for this film is 33%, uh, with an average rating of 5 out of 10, and that's after 268 reviews. And the audience score is that 54% of people liked it. And the critics' consensus is... With storytelling as robotic as the film's iconic villains, Terminator Salvation offers plenty of great effects but lacks the heart of the original films. See, I would say that it lacks it, it has the heart of the original films, but it lacks the brains. Yeah. And that's the problem. It's not got nowhere near as smart a uh, filmmaker or I mean it's had many writers involved in it, but it's yeah. or anywhere near as a, a, a stronger script. That's yeah. the problem. Mm. I mean, 33%, I'd say, is a touch on the low side. It could, but whatever it could improve upon, I would say it still should remain rotten. Yeah, the 5 out of 10 is fair, I think. I think so as well. And the audience score of 54%, I'd say, is smack bang in line. Because it isn't. Honestly, of the failed sequels in the Terminator series, I'd say this is probably the better one out of the lot for just being average. (laughs) Yeah, for just being a little bit different as well. Exactly, yeah. And I have a review from Roger Ebert who says... One of Hollywood's oldest axioms teaches us the story comes first. Watching Terminator Salvation, it occurred to me that in New Hollywood, the storyboards come first. After scrutinising the film, I offer you my summary of the story. Guy dies, guy finds himself resurrected, meets others, fights. That lasts about two hours. (laughs) (laughs) And then dies again. (laughs) And then dies, yeah. I suppose he omitted that part in, in fear of spoilers. And, um, yeah, I agree with that, absolutely. Mm-hmm. This is clearly a film that existed in storyboards before the script came about. I mean, that isn't <laughs> actually true. The script was the first, but it was in such bad shape anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I have a review from Empire, who awarded the film four out of five stars. This is a review from Devin Faraci over at um, birthmoviesdeath.com. He says, Terminator Salvation's biggest flaw is that just as it's building up ahead of steam, it ends. Not satisfyingly, not dramatically, and not in a cliffhanger fashion. It just feels like they've run out of film and must wrap it all up in four quick minutes. Terminator Salvation is supposed to herald the start of a new trilogy, but the end of this one feels quite finished. Time travel is yet to happen, but the film hasn't left enough open ends to make a sequel automatically compelling. It seems a strange critique of a film. It's too standalone. But this world, which had been marvellously opened up in the previous 110 minutes, feels abruptly closed in the final five. Mm. Um, the rest of the review is far more positive, but I, I thought yeah, that was yeah. a point to raise, is that by the end of the film, it doesn't leave enough there, really, no. or enough potential there to continue exploring this no, world. not at all. Because it feels such a redundant film anyway. It's like, what are they going to do next? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So that's all I have from the critics. I also have the IMDb score of the film, which is 6.6 out of 10, which is about average, really, for IMDb scores. Just to uh, put that in line with the rest of the series, though, Terminator 1 has 8.1, 
out of 10. Terminator 2 has 8.5. It's the highest of the series. Terminator 3 then plummets to 6.4. And Terminator Genesis is currently on the same ranking, the same marking as Terminator Salvation at mm. 6.6 out of 10. I'd say Terminator Genesis... Genesis. Genesis. Terminator Genesis should be um, somewhat Genesis. Genesis. Um... So anyway, that's the um, that's the critics' consensus on the film. Let's move on to the box office to find out just how audiences thought of this film. Did they flock to it in their droves? <laughs> the budget for this film was around two hundred million, which I imagine about fifty million of this film was spent on footage that actually didn't make it to the <laughs> cinema. Yeah. Domestic was one hundred and twenty-five million, which is thirty-three point seven of its whole gross. Yeah, foreign was 246 mm-hmm. which is understandable because i think the terminator is quite an international brand it anyway. is yeah yeah one of the things i do have to mention about the budget though this being from the um halcyon company mm. is that even before the film had been released they had sold the rights for domestic release to warner brothers for 80 million i think mm-hmm. and sold sony the remaining international rights for 100 million yeah so they had already kind of covered themselves for 180 million but i guess <laughs> that didn't stop them from going bust so yeah worldwide it made 371 million dollars which is not good for a film that costs 200 million no you're not going to be jumping up and down for joy and yeah it's opening weekend it made uh, just well about forty two and a half million dollars. It had some sort of staying power then. If its domestic was about one hundred and twenty five, but yeah, forty two million opening for this kind of film is not brilliant. Yeah, we're we're at the um, the era when your likes of the Dark Knights open into one hundred and fifty million. Yeah, some stupid numbers like that, yeah. and this opens to a third of that, and it's yeah. like, oh no. I think this is another one where they just tried to rake in as much as possible this was on release for over 16 weeks wow 113 days yeah so yeah they've just definitely tried to crawl back as much money as possible <laughs> and uh, the other insult as well as that it didn't even open to number one no uh, it actually opened at number two <laughs> behind that classic family it movie sh- it should be a classic with it if you terminate a film yeah, open yeah. second to it. Night at the Museum 2, uh-huh. Battle of the Smithsonian, uh-huh. opened in its first week uh, as well for at 54 million. The best Night at the Museum so film. So it actually it upped Terminator by $12 million. Fucking hell. Shame on you, America. Yeah. Although, Shame having said that, it did open at about 500 more theatres. I've never got the Night at the Museum series. No. I've never got it whatsoever. No. I mean, and a I'm complete waste of it... everyone's talents as yeah. well. Like you've got Robin Williams. Like I can't, I can't believe that one of Robin Williams' last films is a fucking Night of the Museum film. Oh, it's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> Such a bad. At number three, you've got Star Trek in its third week. You've got uh, Angels and Demons at number four in its second week. We've got uh, one that I've never heard of before. At number five called Dance Flick, also in its first week. At number six, a film we've already covered. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah! <laughs> as as everybody remembers, week. we came down very positively on that <laughs> film. Some great chick flicks coming through now. We've got some Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. Oh, uh, That's Matthew seven. McConaughey, I think. Yeah. Obsessed at number eight. I've never heard of. I do know that film. It's one of those Bunny Boiler type films. Oh, is that? Okay. Yeah. Monsters vs. Aliens. 
that 3D classic. That um, was awful. Yeah, at nine, and that was in its ninth week. And then 17 again. Oh, I... Uh, number 10. Funnily enough, I actually managed to watch half of that uh, only about three or four weeks ago. Is that another, like, age reversal Yes, film? it's big. You either get that or you get the body swap one, like you get your Freaky Friday kind of things yeah. as well. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's almost its own subgenre. I haven't seen Freaky Friday since it came out, but I, I remember that one was one of the stronger ones. <laughs> it's probably auto crap. Yeah, but um, I think it's more telling, though, when we actually compare Salvation against the films that have gone before. Obviously, we've got five films in the series now. That's three films too many. Yes. Really? Oh, yeah. But uh, at number one, we have Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And that made 519, or almost 520 million in 1991, which was, I'd say, re- very well, very successful for an R-rated film. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, it's kind of it kind of is successful, but obviously you've always got to take in the budget of that film into account because obviously it's a hundred million dollar budget, so it's 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 good, but I'd it's not uh, maybe it, not quite as big as people maybe maybe remember. But it was the biggest film when it came out. Yeah, it was the biggest yeah, yeah. film of all time once yeah. it was released. So again, it it was big. Yeah, but um, and I I think that how much money studios got back worked differently back yeah, then as definitely, well. Definitely, yeah. Rather annoyingly, <laughs> as well at number two. It's Terminator Genesis. Yes. Which made 440. Having said that, this is an unadjusted for inflation list as yeah, well. Yeah, so. and this is because Terminator Genesis landed very strongly yeah. in China, whereas in the US it didn't even crack 100 yeah. million. Because if, you, if you're adjusting Terminator 2 for inflation, you're probably looking at close to a billion. I'd say so, yeah. Yeah. So there's I a mean, huge drop off in the other You're films. looking at its budget being close to 200 million, but it's still yeah. going to crack that billion mark as well. Yeah. Uh, number three is Terminator 3. Yeah. Uh, made 433. So in a way, Genesis was is behind three and four really in terms yeah. of box office. Uh, number four, Terminator Salvation, with three hundred and seventy one, and then at the bottom is the Terminator, which was seventy eight point four. But I will again add that that's seventy eight point four million in nineteen eighty four. Yeah, and then also you have to take into account that Terminator's budget was six million dollars. Yeah, so the <laughs> The offset of that in terms of how much it costs to make and promote versus how much it made is bigger than all the other films Yeah, with that. so And I imagine once you start adjusting for inflation as yeah. well. So I would say, actually, even though it's fourth on the list, it probably, in real terms, comes at the bottom, Terminator yeah. Salvation. Although there was an argument to be made that Terminator Genesis may even come at the bottom as well because it's the it's the most recent film uh, I, adjusted you know i think um i did see an adjusted for inflation right up and i do think that terminator salvation just comes at the bottom below yeah. genesis i think the china money just <laughs> the china <laughs> money the china money just pushed genesis yeah. far beyond it what it should have achieved yeah i suppose one of the things i have to mention as well you're talking about three unnecessary sequels is that when we look at how Terminator 3 came to made, and Terminator 3 is a film that we will probably discuss at some point, yeah. one of the things I just want to mention before we wrap up on this is that we almost got a remarkably different Terminator 3 that would have set this series off in a complete other direction, in a complete stronger direction, I would say, as well. One, they offered it to James Cameron, but said that they had to stick to uh, to their script rather than let James Cameron write his own. That's so bizarre. Which is just bizarre, considering that he's the one that created yeah. this, so he obviously backed out. And another director that decided to jump on board, who was very briefly on board for Terminator 3, was Ridley Scott. 
Yeah. And I think of all these kind of like strong filmmakers that they had coming through, I think uh, David Fincher was mentioned as well in the list. They could have made a much stronger Terminator film that set the foundations for salvation. But instead, they they went with somebody who was so middle of the road. Yeah, it's funny that in these last three Terminator sequels, they've ended up going with some very middle-of-the-road directing talent. Yeah. They've not gone for any big sort of auteur-like directors. They're all literally guns for hire. They need somebody with a vision yeah. to come in and say, okay, this is what Terminator was. This is what it's going to be now. Mm. This is what I'm going to make of it. This is what I've got in my head. They need somebody to really just spearhead this in a new direction. Instead, we've got studios demanding, okay, this is what it needs to be, and it needs to set up all these other films. Because so far, we've had three films that have set up sequels that never come. And I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. So, to wrap up on this episode, Andy, are you any closer to understanding why Terminator Saliva has been forgotten? (laughs) Salivation. (laughs) Yeah, salivation. I should have gone with that. Yeah. Why has it been forgotten? Are you any closer? It's just so forgettable. Yeah. (laughs) That's the reason why it's forgotten, because it is forgettable and it's bland and... And like I say, it's it's forgotten because it's it's neither so bad it's good, which I think Genesis will have that reputation. I think it will. And... um, and it's not good either. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it just comes right down, bang smack in the middle. And again, it's probably still the strongest of this of the unnecessary sequels because it is a little bit different. But at the end of the day, it's not an enjoyable watch. I, I it's, it, like you say, like we experienced when watching this again. It's a it's a bit of a slog to get yeah. through. Before we had actually watched it, we spoke about watching this again, and I, I remember this film a lot more fondly than it actually is. Yeah, yeah. I uh, think I was a little bit more forgiving with films back then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because I, I hadn't watched as many. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I think this podcast has actually um, reshaped the way that I think about some films from yeah. the past. So, again, I was much more willing to go, okay. Uh, for, like you say, I was much more willing to forgive just the greatest flaws. Yeah. And I'd say this is the problem with this film is it's just a bit dull yeah and you are right it's neither so bad like terminator 3 which is just awful or it's neither so bad it's good like terminator genesis it's yeah. just uh it's just a bit limp so is terminator salvation one of the best of the forgotten movies or should it remain best forgotten like i said it does have a couple of positive things and yeah it obviously stands out from the unnecessary crowd because it is a little bit different to the other two but at the end of the day it should be best forgotten because really there should only be two Terminator films in this universe. Yeah, this series should have ended with Terminator 2. There was no need to go any further and if ever it was to go further, it should have done it with James Cameron at the helm or at least a director with some standing and some vision. Instead, we've been left with these music video directed nothing films, really. And um, even if this film was just about good i would still probably say the same because it is utterly unnecessary and and it never escapes that so yeah i would say that terminator salvation despite having its heart in the right place despite respecting the series as much as it needs to it's just not smart enough it doesn't have a stronger script it's not made by smart filmmakers and it just ends up completely middle of the road and because of that it should be forgotten yeah okay and that's all we have time for on this week's episode of best forgotten movies be sure to like share and subscribe you can also find us on facebook and twitter at b4 movies so please do get in touch with suggestions for possible episodes also if you have the time to help us continue to grow our fan base please rate and subscribe to our podcast page found on the itunes store 
this would really help us the more ratings that we get the more our popularity is boosted and that means we get more listeners like yourself coming to best forgotten movies and that makes us me and andy very happy Mm. i've got half a chub on right now (laughs) (laughs) join us next time as we'll be taking a trip back to the wicked wild wicked wicked wild wild west jim west but until then it's bye from myself and hasta la vista baby from andy so fucking amateur. What a commissioner! <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>